it wasn't a whodunit. In fact, the Grace Mullane murder case was easily solved. This particular investigation was not difficult. I really want to make it clear that right throughout the country we have investigators doing fantastic work on investigations, and which are a lot harder than this one. But those other cases don't grip the country, spread around the world or generate such intense media interest. So why was there such an outpouring of grief for the young British tourist killed by a man she met on a Tinder date? Yes, it was terrible what happened to Grace Mullane, but one of the things that gets me with it is the fact that the Prime Minister would make this announcement for one case when there are so many murders and victims that don't get the same kind of treatment. I'm Jessie Chang, and today on The Detail, we're looking at why one tragedy was elevated well beyond the 75 other murders in 2018. Fielding the cause, sheltering Grace's family, and doing all the interviews after the guilty verdict came in, was a police officer in overall charge of the case, Detective Inspector Scott Baird. This investigation itself was not a difficult investigation. You know, we have staff throughout the country, investigators and investigation teams throughout the country, investigating whodunit crimes. And some of them have gone on for a significant amount of time. And the work that they do, even within our own district in Auckland City, at the time we had our homicide, which was outstanding work. They started with nothing and to find the offenders, and it's still to come to trial, but it happens around New Zealand, you know, the... The staff, the investigators around New Zealand do a really good job. And you can see even with some of the cold cases, we are getting results for cold cases, which are years and years old. So this one was just, um, it gripped the country, it gripped the media. It was intense. It was international story. And as I say, telling a story in the media where day after day it was getting sadder, you know, it, it, people were tuned into it. Where, When it comes to family violence and the homicides and family violence, it's no less serious. You know, someone has been killed. But generally what you find is that there's a domestic violence homicide. The offender is arrested within 24 hours. Well, you can't be going out to the media because it's before the courts. Someone is before the courts, so it's sub say, and nothing can really can be said. So the country doesn't get a chance to listen and hear and, you know, get gripped by this unfolding story because it's basically a one-off news item and then it's before the courts. This week has seen a series of candlelight vigils around the country to pay respects to British tourist Grace Mullane. There was also a vigil held near her hometown in Wickford in the UK. Amid the Waiata and Karakia, they sang the song Grace's brother, Declan Mullane, posted on social media in honour of his sister. cards, the letters, the messages during the investigation that I received, not only for myself and the police team, but in particular for the Mullane family, unbelievable. Um, Hundreds, hundreds. Um, And not only just from New Zealand. We were getting cards and messages from Australia. Uh, Yeah, it was, I just, I've never dealt with that before. I never experienced that before. So um, that was... Yeah, and I think straight after the investigation, we had the vigils around New Zealand, and I know I spoke at one of the vigils. Um, 
and just the outpouring, the number of people that were involved. And you just had to drive around. I, one time I had David Mullane when during the investigation. We'd been up in the Waitakere's and we came down through Titarangi and the roundabout at Titarangi was completely covered with flowers and messages. Did he say anything about it? Did oh, David Mullane say anything about it to you? Oh, he was just totally overwhelmed as well. He just couldn't believe the outpouring of grief and the love that came from New Zealanders towards their family. Why do you think the public has resonated so much with this case? Well, New Zealand being where we are, you know, we're not landlocked. We're a nice little island down the southern hemisphere. Um, a lot of our young people, boys, girls, you know, they go on an OE and they go over to overseas, whether they go to, you know, South and North America, whether they go through Europe or the UK. But we understand a lot of our young people go overseas on their OEs. Um, I think this particular case was in reverse, where an English girl had gone on her OE and part of her OE was in New Zealand, and she'd gone missing. Now, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're a brother, a sister, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, you know, you don't want your family member overseas to go missing. And I think because of how New Zealanders are, you know, we have that understanding, but that compassion as well when something like that happens. And, um, yeah, I think it just gripped the nation. And how did you find the media coverage overall? This, I'm not just talking about the sentencing, but throughout the whole process from when she first went missing to now where he's been sentenced? Well, I think with social media, it drives a lot of the media coverage. So we know that the family, when they reported her missing, went on their social media. Because in the UK, that's what a lot of people do. They go onto social media, we're looking for so-and-so. Um, and, of course, the UKs are so much bigger than New Zealand in the population size. So it's driven a lot by social media. Plus then it's the international flavour. So you have a English girl gone missing in New Zealand, and the UK press had picked that up. So I suppose in New Zealand there's a little bit of pressure on the New Zealand media to make sure that they're on top of everything because I, I expect the editors would not want the UK media to come out with something that the New Zealand media hadn't covered off. Yeah, so that intensified the media interest. Do you feel comfortable with what was reported by media? And I'm talking about in terms of also, I don't know if you're aware, but the live blogging of the trial by several media outlets. Well, I wasn't aware of the live blogging of the trial. But look, the media have a role to play. You know, They are the eyes and ears of the public. Um, if stuff is in the public domain, then that's the media's role. And I understand that. I don't have any issues with that. I thought... During the investigation, um, you know, they were fine. We planned and prepared for our media releases and conferences. Um, and as you know, on the Friday, David Mullane had flown in, so that was part of the strategy was have David Mullane sit beside me and put out an appeal for his daughter. Um, so, yeah, the media interest, we helped create a media interest because the police needed the media to try and find her. So, you know, we can't be critical of the media. So I, and right through the investigation, 
uh, the media's fine from my perspective. When it came to the trial, um, you know, I mean, there were some pretty graphic details. Yeah, during the trial, definitely there was graphic details. Um, yeah, and so I'd had to prepare David and Gillian Mullane, you know, for what was coming up at the trial. And we knew that on the first day when we walked in, there would be lots of media. And I just said, let's just walk through them, let them take their photos, just feed the beast, basically. Um, we won't say anything, we'll just walk through, walk into court, be dignified, and um, go from there. So we we did that the first day, and then obviously the media got their photos, and then... You know, it was a three-week trial, and the media were all set up in court. And the reality is most of the media in court I knew and have dealt with. So I don't have an issue communicating and talking with them. And um, and once again, the media are the eyes and ears of the court. It is a public court. Yes, there was certain names that were suppressed or information, evidence that was suppressed. But apart from that, the media are entitled to report what goes on in court. Um, well, I've said to a few people because they said, oh, I don't know if you were going to if there would be a conviction, was you have to sit in court and you have to hear the whole evidence, hear all the evidence that the jury hears um, before you can make that decision. I understand people would make that assumption from what they hear in the media because the media can't report absolutely everything. In terms of Grace herself and her background and what was raised by the defence, Yes, the media are entitled to report that. Um, it doesn't make it any easier on the family. And as I've previously said, in a lot of ways, I thought that defence, particularly the rough sex defence, is just repeatedly re-victimising. Um, not only the victim, who can't talk for herself, but the family. How did the Mullane family find the media attention? Because like you say, it wasn't just New Zealand, it was the UK and you know other media outlets from around the world also picked the story up. You know, we talked to Mullanes about the media and, you know, to some degree we as the police uh, were dictated by what the Mullanes wanted. So I know there was a lot of requests from the media to um, do interviews with the family. They didn't want to do one-on-one interviews, and I totally understand and, you know, appreciate that. Uh, one of the... We talked about after the trial no matter what the result of the jury verdict, that David Mullane would speak to the media and give a, a release, just a one-off. So essentially they used that time, that media statement after the conviction and also the victim impact statements to be what they want to say to the media. The verdict of murder today will be welcomed by every member of the Mullane family and friends of grace. It will not reduce the pain, the suffering that we've had to endure for over the past year. We'd love to thank the people of New Zealand. They've opened their hearts to grace and their family. I cannot express our gratitude enough for all the offers and gifts of kindness that we have received over the last year. Finally, we must return home and try and pick up the pieces of our lives and day to day with our beloved Grace. It was a statement that went out to the world. Sarah Baker is a senior lecturer of communications at AUT and she has her own take on why everyone was glued to the case. It seems to have captured that mood of that kind of Me Too thing of women should not be victims, women should not be attacked. 
It also had the other spike in it, if you like, of the BDSM aspect, and that is the defence using that um, as this was a consensual act that went wrong. But it's also got that kind of titillating aspect, titillating, it's kind of grotesque, of the way the body was disposed of and the kind of almost that dehumanising aspect of this crime. I was also reading last night of the woman, a young woman, who'd met the same guy after this man had apparently murdered her and that she went out and met him on a date and he was talking in a very strange way. So there's also that aspect of, okay, so even if you took it as a fact, which we don't know, that this was a sex game gone wrong and that she was murdered accidentally, which obviously the jury didn't quite believe, um, that, you know, there's still this aspect of, well, why didn't you call an ambulance and you went off and you did some very strange things? So it's got a kind of grotesque, odd twist in it as well. So there's a few levels going on here. I cannot imagine the grief of her family and what they will be experiencing and feeling right now. And my thoughts and prayers are with her father, David, um, who is in the country, um, her mother, Gillian, who cannot be here, uh, and her wider family, friends uh, and loved ones. You know, from uh, the Kiwis I have spoken to, there is this overwhelming sense of hurt and shame that this has happened in our country a place that prides itself on our hospitality, on our manaakitanga, um, especially to those who are visiting our shores. And so, on behalf of New Zealand, I want to apologise to Grace's family. Your daughter should have been safe here, and she wasn't, and I'm sorry for that. The Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern came out and directly addressed Mm -hmm. what happened at her post-Cabinet press conference. What do you make of that? Kind well, of response. I have a few reactions to that. One of them is, yes, it was terrible what happened to Grace Mullane, but one of the things that gets me with it is the fact that the Prime Minister would make this announcement for one case when there are so many murders and victims that don't get the same kind of treatment. So that's one of the things that struck me about it. Um, I, you know, She was praised in a lot of media overseas for having the humility to say this and that she didn't need to apologise. So I think it's a bit of a mixed bag, that that apology by the Prime Minister. You know, it's sort of on one hand, one can give her credit for doing that, but it also raises that very issue of who is not given that same treatment, which I think is deeply problematic. Why is it problematic? Well, we're then into this whole area of who is a victim and who is allowed to or seemingly gets empathy and sympathy. Now, this isn't to demean or belittle what happened to Grace Mullane. It was truly tragic. It's a very prominent story. But there are a lot of stories that do not get covered in the same way. And when you sort of, if you look at them, you think, well, why has that person not been given the same coverage or the same empathy as this one? Now, we know there are certain factors in this case it's got some very prominent news values that meant the story was going to stand out. But then if you look at other cases of young women who've been murdered, who maybe don't get the same coverage, it starts to raise those issues of, I think, from either looking at it from a journalistic point of view or from an academic point of view, or just as people who want to say, well, who is allowed to be a victim? Who's allowed to have empathy? So in that respect, I think it's, it's a bit difficult.
Mm. Because there, there was a murder shortly after yes. Grace Mullane, yes. um, the Chinese woman. 34-year-old Shi Wang had her son in arms when she was brutally stabbed by her estranged husband, Ephraim Beasley, in her South Auckland home. There was some coverage, you know, I, I yes. give, you know, yes. the media outlets credit for that, yes. but compared to Grace, yes. I mean, there was, there was I nothing. completely agree with you, and I think I actually looked at that as well, and I looked at the footage, and I looked at there is a, a news item, and then there was a written news about it, and I thought exactly the same thing. I thought, this is very interesting as to why this victim is not given the same coverage, because when you think about it, if you were going to t- sort of... I'm not going to say put a spin on it, but, I mean, you could equally argue how could this young immigrant woman not be allowed to be safe in New Zealand? She should have been allowed to be safe in New Zealand. What's going to happen to her child who's now growing up? This is tragic. You know, is that not as tragic as anything else? Unfortunately, we do have a sort of, I think we're not very good at dealing with certain members and groups of the population that don't seem to get the same kind of empathy and sympathy as other people. Now, in Britain, they've actually, academics look at this, and they look at, they call it the ideal victim and the hierarchy of victimisation. So what happens is, we've got all these sort of, if you like, cleavages in society. You can have ethnicity, you can have race, you have sexuality, gender, class. And unfortunately, when these things come together, the news or the media tends to replicate the problems that we might have in society. So what's happening is some people are seen as more deserving of being seen as a victim, while others are less deserving. You know, cases where two young white women go missing and they get all this coverage, and then two younger men of colour are missing and they get virtually nothing. Take the Grace Mullane case. If you took the Ji Wang case... And when we did a content analysis, we know which way it will probably go. We'll see lots of material on Grace Mullane, and we'll see much less. And that would just be content. That's just counting numbers, let alone how is it covered, which is a different story again. Do you think that for a lot of people they were so shocked because it made them confront the fact that actually our country isn't safe and confront the fact that our domestic abuse figures are extremely high. Yeah, I think it would. I think it did. And I think that very idea, I mean, there's a lot of New Zealanders have gone for many, many, you know, many years now, go and do OEs overseas and probably sit there and also think about people coming here. would love to think that New Zealand is a safe country and that you can just come here and travel around. And I suppose it actually shocked people that this may not be the case. And just moving on to the trial itself and how uh, media covered that, it was, you know, the, the courtroom was packed. Yes. And there were also aspects of, for example, live yes. blogging and that kind live of thing. Live tweeting yes, everything. Live. What, what do you make of that? Well, I think that this case just captured the imagination so much that it was also, you know, like I said, if you bring all those news values in, this case just sort of caught on fire and captured the imagination. And um, for all those elements that we've sort of discussed and everything, and I still think, you know, I mean, this is wildly speculative, but, you know, if she had been murdered, this is a terror, you know, it's really difficult to say this, isn't it? If the murder had been a little bit more conventional, would it have actually have done this? I don't know. 
you know. If if she looked a different way, would it have caught people's imagination? I don't know. Uh, if if it didn't have that whole the way the body was disposed, throw the sex games into it, possibly not. So I think when you take all those elements, like you say, it's that kind of bringing all these things together that almost creates like a perfect storm for this, the story in itself. And of course, there was all those reactions about victim blaming. You know, you read quite a bit of that about how whatever her sexual preference or past was, that it shouldn't have been used and that there is a trend of women being blamed for these sorts of things. However, in this case, this was a murder case and this was an aspect of it. And I have read some pieces, one from an AUT uh, associate professor in law who was saying, no, we think this this should have been put out because it was a, you know, a large part of the argument that this was consensual and that this should have happened. So, of course, there's all those debates around it as well. It becomes like a test case of, well, should we be exploring this aspect of her or is Grace Mullane being re-victimised again? So you can see that there's like pockets of things all through this case that make it so, you know, interesting or people are fascinated by it. And also, of course, there's all the outrage of this should never have happened to her. So there's so many elements that make this this story just so relevant and interesting to media as well as to audiences. That's The Detail Today. I'm Jessie Chang. The Detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. Hit the subscribe button to stay across The Detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Detective Inspector Scott Baird and Dr Sarah Baker. Ka kite anō.